let's just predict step-by-step what's going to happen when your worry shows up. And you can say to your older child, the thing that we really want to pay attention to is that your worry wants you to avoid. It wants you to stop. It wants you to run away. I am telling you to do the opposite of that which can feel really difficult, but let's practice stepping in. And you can even say to them, how can we sort of put our toes in the water? What would be a conversation that you could have? What would be something that you can do that, as weird as this sounds, makes the worry show up so you can practice handling it? Welcome to Flusterclux with Lynn Lyons, where we talk about how to manage those tricky emotions that show up in all families. Serious stuff without being too serious. I'm your co-host, Robin, and I'm Lynn's sister-in-law, and I'm here to ask your questions. And I'm Lynn Lyons. I'm an anxiety expert, speaker, mom, and author, and I've been a therapist for over 30 years. Parenting can be a Flusterclux, and I'm here to help you find your way. And I'll even tell you what to do and what to say. So Lynn, I've never been a patient of yours in your practice, even though I've certainly taken advantage of your advice in real life. One of the things you talk about though with your clients is the importance of a family's homework. Yep. What homework might be a good thing for our listeners to be thinking about? that they could do at home. Yeah. And I think when I talk about homework, it's really about practice because when we're dealing with fears, when we're dealing with worries, when we're dealing with anxieties, if you don't do things, you're not going to get anywhere because the brain learns experientially. What we're going to talk about today is how in the course of your parenting, and summer is a really good time to experiment with this and to practice this, how do you help your kids with their fears, with their worries? This is really like a do-it-yourself exposure practice that I'm going to talk about today because people really do want to hear from me sort of the step-by-step, and it really is about consistency, and it's about doing, doing, doing. Let's talk about handling fears. They could be little fears, normal worries. They can also be those big fears that kids have that prevent you from doing things. Let me just break it down a little bit. Let's just talk about, for example, if you have a child that you know has a known issue. So for example, they're terrified of bumblebees or bugs, so they won't go outside. Or you're trying to get them to do swimming lessons and they're really afraid of getting in the water. Or you go on vacation, you're at an amusement park, and your child is terrified to go to places where there are a lot of people. Maybe terrified is too strong a word. But You're feeling like, oh my gosh, let's got to do this thing or come on, it's just a bug or you need to learn how to swim. So what do you do in that instance with your child on your own? What can you do? First of all, there's going to be some pre-work, right? This is what I call front loading. You have to explain, not in a gazillion words, but in concrete terms, you have to explain, here is what happens when your worry shows up is that you are setting an alarm off in your brain and you are really reacting in a way that your poor body thinks, ah, this is an emergency. So we have to retrain your brain. And the way we're going to do that is we're going to step into situations and it's okay if worry shows up. Now, let me just say parenthetically, what if you're dealing with this with a three-year-old, right? Or a four-year-old, you're not going to have this conversation about, Listen, you've got this part of your brain that may be too much, but what you can say is, I know that you feel scared when we do this. I know that you get worried, but we're going to practice 
handling those big worried feelings, right? So you're going to step into it. You're going to give them some indication that this is something that you're going to practice with. So it's not just in the moment. It's setting the stage. It's doing some preparation. Don't talk too much. Don't go over and over and over. Just put it out there. This is something that we're going to do, and we're going to do it together. You want to be supportive and encouraging. Remember, anxiety is anticipatory, so you don't want to build it up like it's a big deal. I want you to be nonchalant about it. This is what we're going to do. So that's the first thing that you're going to do. The second thing that you're going to do is that you're going to do role-playing and you're going to make it a little playful. So let's just take the example of bugs or bumblebees. Say that you've got a little child or even an older child who's so afraid of getting stung by a bee that they won't go to their day camp, they won't go to the pool, they won't even go outside, they won't go in your backyard. Get something to practice with. It doesn't have to be a little pretend bee. You can use a marble. You can use a Tootsie Roll. I don't care what you use, but you're going to practice what you're going to do and how you're going to get closer to this thing and how you're going to help your child manage the feelings that show up and hang with it. If it's a bumblebee, we don't have to go up and hold the bumblebee. You don't want to touch the bumblebee. You just want to get in proximity of it. Practice, for example, putting the fake bumblebee on the kitchen table and then walking by the kitchen table. And worry is going to show up. What's worry going to say? Worry's going to say, oh, no, oh, no. And you're going to say, oh, worry, that's what you always say. And you're going to practice walking by. The reason that you practice is because truly this is how the brain relearns. And we want to give your child the opportunity to experience that rush of fear, to experience those rush of feelings, and then let it subside over time. This is what exposure therapy is, bringing your brain, bringing your body into the situation, hanging out long enough for it to subside. So you want to practice. You don't have to do it a hundred times. I would do it maybe 10 times. Make it a game, make it playful. Okay. So that's the second step that you're going to do. The other thing that you want to make sure as you're doing this with your child is that you stay away from all of that reassurance safety chatter. Let's just say it's swimming lessons, for example. So you want your child to get into the pool. Maybe you want your child to learn to put their face in the water. What you don't want to do is a lot of that, like, look, you'll be safe. Everything will be okay. Your instructor is very qualified. Nothing bad is going to happen. You're going to be fine. All of that stuff says to your child in sort of a paradoxical way, this is something for you to be concerned about. Because as you're often saying that, your intensity builds up, right? Your language is like, okay, it's going to be okay. There's nothing to be afraid of. The analogy I give is that say you were going out to dinner in a restaurant and you walk into the restaurant, you sit down at the table and the waiter comes up and says to you, I just want to let you know that we are very good at making sure that our food is safe, that we have had many inspections, and that there is no reason to believe that you are going to get food poisoning from this restaurant. You'd be like, okay, thanks. And you'd get up and you'd and leave. you'd get up and leave. <laughs> yeah, you'd get up and leave. So the language you want to use is, we're going to go to this swimming lesson, and it's important that you get into the water. 
And you know what? Your worry might tell you that you can't do it. I think you can. So we're going to practice, right? Short and sweet. The goal is to help our kids strengthen the skill of tolerating uncertainty. So if you're constantly giving that reassurance, you're denying them the practice. Correct. And when you're giving reassurance and you're telling people that they'll be okay, the brain can't help but say like, why do they keep telling me I'm going to be okay? Is this dangerous? It would be like getting on an airplane. The flight attendant stands up front and says like, we just want you to know that your pilot is really, really qualified. And even if we hit some bad weather, your pilot really is able to keep you safe. You're going to be like, why are they saying this? And he got a good night's sleep and he's been sober for two weeks. (laughs) Yeah, right, right. He's been really doing well with his program. We haven't had any problems with drinking on the job. He's doing great. We actually did a breathalyzer before he got on the plane. Yeah, I mean... All that stuff, it's like designed to make you feel like things are going to be okay, but it has the opposite effect. So just pay attention to that language that you use. With a bumblebee, for example, you could say, we're going to walk by this bumblebee and everybody's going to mind their own business. The bee's going to mind their own business. You're going to mind their own business. And you can make it a little playful. You can make it a little silly. A little laughter is always a good thing. And then we're going to take a break and I'll tell you what to do if you just have sort of like a temperamentally sort of hesitant child. But if you've got this specific thing, first thing you're going to do is you're going to lay a little bit of the groundwork. You're going to do some role playing that is fun and easy and consistent. It's got to be consistent. You're going to stay away from your safety chatter. And then you're going to actually practice doing it in the real situation. When we come back, let's also talk about how you adapt this for different age kids thus far. I really have to pay attention to hydrating properly. I work out a lot. I talk all the time, as you know. I am pretty active and I don't drink enough water. So I'm constantly thinking about how it is that I am going to hydrate in the best way possible. And I'll tell you, if my water has a little bit of flavor, it's so much easier for me. And if I can get those electrolytes, if I can get more bang for my buck, it's just so much better. I have been using liquid IV. I put it into a huge glass. I put it into the refrigerator. It's cold. It's very tasty. I've been putting it in my water bottle when I go to the gym. The packaging is so convenient. I actually look forward to drinking it, which is not something that comes naturally to me. I love the lemon-lime flavor. They've got a sugar-free option that is really great. So I think that if you're somebody like me that has a difficult time getting in the amount of hydration that you need for your body, Liquid IV is a great option. One stick, 16 ounces of water, it hydrates better than water alone. It's got three times the electrolytes of the leading sports drink, and it doesn't have all that sugar. It doesn't have artificial sweeteners. Eight vitamins and nutrients just for your everyday wellness. It's non-GMO and free from gluten, dairy, and soy. However you hydrate, grab your Liquid IV Hydration Multiplier, sugar-free in bulk nationwide at Costco, or get 20% off your first order when you go to liquidiv.com and use code FLUSTER at checkout. That's 20% off your first order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code FLUSTER at liquidiv.com. 
You know, sometimes people wait until something bad happens to talk to a therapist, but why wait? Therapy can help you shift your perspective, find tools to cope in difficult times, and feel grounded in your personal relationships. So getting started is the important part. Talkspace makes it easy and affordable. With Talkspace, you can sign up online and get a personalized match with a provider that's right for you, typically within 48 hours. It's incredibly convenient to have virtual sessions with your licensed therapist from the comfort of your home, your car, your office. There's no need to commute to appointments and miss time at work or line up childcare in order to attend sessions. It's mental health care made easy. That's right. And it's secure and private. They use the latest end-to-end bank-grade encryption technology to store client information, complying with the latest HIPAA regulations. Remember, Talkspace is affordable and it's in-network with most major insurers. As a listener of this podcast, you'll get $80 off your first month with Talkspace when you go to Talkspace.com slash Fluster. To match with your licensed therapist today, go to Talkspace.com slash Fluster to get $80 off your first month. That's Talkspace.com slash Fluster. Okay, we're back. Okay, so now you've got this plan. Now, what if your child is older? What if you're dealing with a teenager issue, for example, like maybe going for a job interview or they're taking driver's ed or they have to order in a restaurant, right? Things that older kids have difficulty with. You just want to bump your language up and you want to be really direct. You want to say, look, you have a pattern or we as a family have a pattern of creating emergency reactions when it's not an emergency of telling stories about how badly this is going to go without really giving you an opportunity to practice. What we want you and your teenager to recognize is that avoidance begets avoidance because you never get the opportunity to retell the story. With an older child, same thing applies. We're going to lay the groundwork. Maybe we're going to do some role playing. So say you have a child who's having difficulty speaking to adults or it's time for them to go to a new place or do a new thing. It may be driver's ed. It may be a job. You can do some role playing with them. You can have them walk through with you what that conversation will sound like. You want the brain to practice. I cannot emphasize enough that the brain learns experientially. It's about doing And role-playing in practice is doing. It's pre-doing. So you want to bump that language up. How do you draw the line in the role-playing? Because I have a feeling if you were to grade all of us as parents doing the role-playing, some of us would do it better than others. You always say, ask the how questions. So how do you role-play where you're still giving them the room to practice versus like kind of just spoon-feeding everything and telling them that you want it done this way? Mm -hmm. Okay, so this is how a role play might go. I'll play both characters. You know that your child has difficulty separating or has difficulty stepping into new things. So you say, so Robin, you'll be the cute little kid. So I say, Robin, now remember, tomorrow we're going to go to your swimming lesson. So what do you think worry is going to say when it's time to go to your swimming lesson? I don't want to go to my swimming lesson. Right. That's what it's probably going to say. And it might get really big. It might even say it a little bit like, lesson. Like it might say it nicely, but it might say it kind of big and kind of loud. So we're going to practice going to your swimming lesson. Okay. We're driving in the car. Let's pretend we're driving in the car, right? Oh, here comes worry. 
where he's saying, you can't do this. This is an emergency. I don't want to go to the swimming lesson. And so we're going to say back to worry, worry, thanks for sharing. And we're going to get to your swimming lesson. And what do you think is going to happen when it's time to meet your swim instructor? What do you think is going to happen when we see your teacher? The voice is going to get louder. It is. It's going to get louder. And remember also that sometimes you tell me that your tummy hurts. So we know that might happen too. You might say, oh, my tummy hurts. So we know that's going to happen. And what we're going to do is we're just going to keep moving forward. And even though we know the worry is there, we're going to tell the worry that it's not in charge. So let's practice that and then just go through. Make a little scenario in your house. You can make a pillow as the swim instructor and practice. You are going to offer encouragement and reminders. Stay away from the safety chatter. So you're going to get to the edge of the pool. Now, what happens then if the kid says like, I'm not doing it and they freak out. So you step back a little and you say, okay, so let's take a breath. Let's take a moment. Here's worry. And then parent, you can talk to worry. You can say, worry, we knew you were going to show up. We knew this is exactly what you're going to do. So now we're going to step forward again. Parents, you can say to your child, this is called exposure therapy. And what we're doing is we're retraining your brain. We're practicing doing this thing. So let's think, how could we practice right now? Okay. Sometimes it takes more than one practice. I wish it were so easy that if you have a child that was afraid of swimming lessons and then they'd, yay, jump in the water. I don't think that's very common. How can we practice? If you have a little child, you are taking it a step at a time. You are being consistent. You are being encouraging. You are keeping yourself vanilla ice cream, right? You are keeping yourself very even, and you're just going to keep working at it. It is not helpful at all if you start to panic, if you start feeling embarrassed. Oh my gosh, my kid's not getting in the swimming lesson. What am I going to do? They're supposed to be doing this. You also really want to avoid saying things like, it's really important that you learn how to swim because it's very dangerous if you don't know how to swim. Anything like that. Give yourself a little patience, a little encouragement as well, step by step. You're going to do the role play. You're going to use that language. The other thing you can do with a role play too is you can switch roles so that your child is now playing the parent or the swim instructor and you are playing the scared child. They have fun. They like doing that. All of that is really helpful. If you are dealing with an older child, you know, you want them to go to their driver's ed or you want them to be able to assert themselves. They have to have a conversation with somebody. Same thing. Practice the conversation. Name the worry. And then say, let's just walk through this and let's just predict step by step what's going to happen when your worry shows up. And you can say to your older child, the thing that we really want to pay attention to is that your worry wants you to avoid. It wants you to stop. It wants you to run away. I am telling you to do the opposite of that, which can feel really difficult, but let's practice stepping in. And you can even say to them, how can we sort of put our toes in the water? What would be a conversation that you could have? What would be something that you can do that, as weird as this sounds, makes the worry show up so you can practice handling it? This is what I do with my clients. Yeah. We did the series last summer on the seven puzzle pieces that disrupt anxiety. So I'm just thinking about a lot of your foundational approaches and you talk about bridging past successes or probably enticing future rewards in that conversation. How would that sound? 
if you have little kids offering a little bit of a reward, right? My husband always says it's bribery. Okay, whatever. But it's positive incentive is that you might want to say to them, look, I know this is really hard for you to walk by the bush where the bumblebees are. So let's make it a game. And I'm going to put your favorite little action figure at the end of the walkway. And let's see if we can walk past the bush with the bumblebees and get the action figure. And you can say, worry does not want you to have any fun. It doesn't want you to do anything. So let's practice walking by knowing that we're going to get a little reward at the end. So you can do that with little kids. The more playful you make this, the more you make it a game rather than something that, oh God, we have to do this, the better off you'll be. With older kids, you just really want to talk to them very directly about the fact that developing these skills makes their life easier. I have, right now it's the summertime, so you can imagine that I have teenagers that I'm talking to that are getting ready to go to college and we're working on these skills. What is the benefit of you practicing this? What is the goal that you're going to achieve? Are you going to be able to get your driver's license? Are you going to be able to have easier conversations with people? I want to motivate them, usually in a social realm. The thing that is so, so important is they know that they're going to have these feelings. That's the mistake that everybody makes, is that they say, we're going to do this so that you feel calm and confident. Nope, we're going to do this so you get used to the worry showing up and you keep moving through it. And that's what exposure therapy does. Let me ask you this question, because I don't feel like we've talked about this so much. If I were to have a little six-year-old afraid to go to swimming lessons, let's go back to the younger child. We could talk about the teen, it's relevant too. But in addition to saying like, you know, you weren't really that excited to go to gymnastics, but think of all the friends you made and the fun that you had. I'm thinking about Sally by the end of the summer, who's gotten to be a really great swimmer for her hard work and taking risks to learn to swim. And I'm thinking about our family at this lazy river where we're floating down and because you're swimming, you're going to swim ahead and you're going to go underwater and you're going to squeeze dad's toes that are hanging off the inflatable inner tube. And we're going to think that's so silly because you're such a good swimmer at that point. You've learned to do that or like creating like a scene or Yeah, I might make a recording for a child. I do this with adults too. So that's called future progression. So you are predicting for the child and you are helping their brain imagine what it's going to be like once they've acquired this skill or once they've been able to move past that. So that's absolutely something that you can do. You know, you can write a story, you can tell a story, recording things on your phone is really helpful. So if the child hears their own voice, So when you learn to swim, right? So that's called seeding. When you learn to swim, what do you think is going to be the fun thing that you're going to be able to do once you get into that pool and then have them say it so they can listen back to it? So that's a really good strategy that I use a lot. I use it with adults too, actually. It's the ability to let the brain go forward in time and create the outcome that you want. Absolutely, that's a fun thing to do. Now, let me talk for a minute about what happens when it goes horribly wrong. (laughs) So let's just say, parent, that you do this role playing with a bumblebee or the swimming lesson. And remember, you can role play like you can create a little swimming pool in your house. You can have them jump off the side of the bed and you catch them, right? So you do all this and you're feeling like, oh my gosh, I am so awesome at doing this. I am creating this great thing. And then you get to the actual exposure practice 
and your child is like NFW and maybe they freak out, maybe they have a temper tantrum, maybe they cry and scream, that's okay. You're practicing this. It's all right. So you want to back it up a little bit. You want to back it up. In that moment, remember, when they're freaking out, there's not a lot of learning going on. Just take your time. Maybe you want to take a break. You say, let's go over here for five minutes. Movement is really helpful. So if you have a child that's really freaking out, that means that their energy is up because they've gotten that little shot of activation. So you can have them move around. That's okay. And then give it another try. The best outcomes with this are when you give yourself room to practice, that you start with big hopes and low expectations. You know what I mean? Like you're like, we're going to be able to do this. And we know it's going to be tricky. But let's go back because you've pulled the child at the swimming lesson. All the listeners, including myself, were like, wait, 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 what do we say? Pull the child over to the side of the pool because it did not go well. And you say like, let's take a break. What are the words next? You might say, okay, so we knew worry was going to show up, didn't we? And boy, worry loves to make things as an emergency. So let's just take a few minutes to get our body a little more regulated. Or you, I very rarely say, let's calm down, right? I just don't like that language. But let's take some time to get our feet back under us. Let's take some time to get our thinking brain back where we need to be. And maybe let's watch a little bit. Let's see what the other kids are doing. Let's see how it's going. So let's take a few minutes to watch and then we're going to try it again. So you let me know, right? In a few minutes, you let me know, we're going to try it again. And then you might even ask them, what do you think we can do this time? What do you think we can do? Can we walk to the edge of the pool? Can we sit on the edge of the pool and put our feet in? I went through this with one of my nieces who was afraid to get into the water and she wasn't doing her swimming lessons. So I sat on the edge of the pool with her. I got into the water and I said, what's your worry going to say? And we talked about it. And I said, let's yell loud at the worry. And we yelled at the worry. She's actually like 20 years old now. So this is when she was really little. And we acted it out sitting on the side of the pool. And then I took her into the water with me and she's like wrapping her arms around me. And I'm like, let's yell at that worry, like worry, knock it off. And rah! And we just played and played and played. I let her wrap her arms around me and hang on to me. That was okay. And we just took it step by step by step. What I kept modeling for her was that I wasn't intimidated by her worry. I wasn't intimidated by her fear. I knew exactly what was going on. I stayed playful. It's just step by step by step. Right. So it may be you say to your child, okay, so we're going to hang out at the pool. What do you think we can do that's going to show worry that worry is not the boss and see what they come up with? And if they say, I don't know, or if they say, I'm leaving, you say, oh, of course, worry wants to leave. You just repeat that question. What do you think we can do that can give your brain and your body a chance to learn? What do you think we could do? Hang in there. Take your time. One of the times when people are working with their kids on a fear or they're working with them on this hesitancy, when the clock is ticking, when you as a parent feel a lot of pressure that you have to get it done, things don't go very well. I was just about to say that. I was about to say, give us a pep talk because like you said, sometimes 
parents' feelings start interfering with the ability to help the child because you're embarrassed in front of the other parents that you've got in air quotes that kid, right? And then that makes things challenging for you. The kids pick up on your discomfort. Let's talk about that when we get back of how do we learn to sort of be there and keep our focus. Well, hey there, Busy Mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it but I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play. And we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips. Okay, so now back to the show. Okay, so the issue is like here you're thinking this, okay, like I'm going to really work on this and we're going to make some progress with this. And then you go to the pool or you go to the day camp or you walk out the door and things don't go well. And immediately the things that go through your mind is I'm not doing this correctly. I'm screwing this up. I'm so embarrassed. People are looking at me. I've already paid for this tennis lesson. You know, all the things that make your anxiety and your embarrassment and your worry jack up. It is really helpful if you can ahead of time, just say to whoever you're engaging with, it might be to the other parents, say you're going to a birthday party or their swimming lessons, that you say to the other adult, this is something we're working on. And so this could be a little tricky at first, but we're working on something. We got this. So let the other parents know that you have a plan like sort of flaunt your expertise a little bit. Like, yeah, we got this. We know worry is going to show up and we're working on it. We're doing a little exposure therapy here. So pay you no mind, other people. Just sort of put it out there so that people are watching you do this and they're like, oh, look, she's got a plan or, oh, look, she knew her kid was going to freak out. And then that way it takes some of the pressure off of you. 
Oh, that's great. Yeah. And then someone else might say, if you say, we're working on a little exposure therapy and we're getting comfortable getting uncomfortable, yeah, someone yeah, might be like, yeah. do you listen to fluster clocks? Yeah. Oh, really? You're doing that? Oh, how, do, how did you know what to do? Oh, well, we listened to this episode on fluster clocks that really helped us walk through. So I think sort of one of the main messages with this is that it takes time and it takes practice. And what happens when I'm working with families or when I'm giving this information to people is that they have the expectation that they're going to go and do it and it's going to go great. I'm working with a family now. It's a teenager. And I've met with the family one time and the mom has already emailed me that, you know, this isn't working. Slow your roll here, right? Like, it's okay. I've met with her one time. I've met with you one time. So give yourself some time. Give yourself some patience. This is about consistency and let other people know that you're working on it. So they're observing you and they might even be in admiration of how you're doing this rather than you needing to feel so embarrassed. And then the other thing I just want to talk about briefly is that if you've got a child that you know is just temperamentally a little shyer, they take a little more time to warm up, that they get overwhelmed easily that this is something that you're dealing with on a consistent basis, the same rules apply. Do that role-playing. This applies to going back to school too. It's not just a summertime thing. But think about this as a long-term project in which you are helping your child build skills. Take the pressure off. You go to a birthday party. Your little child is hanging on your leg. They're seeing all the other kids around. You know that they're going to have difficulty joining in. Think, okay, so here's my opportunity to practice and let yourself take little steps. Let your child take little steps and give yourself credit. Give your child credit when they move towards something. If they hang on your leg for 20 minutes and then they go and join in something, that's a success. Give yourself the time, the patience, and the consistency to work on this and really, really pull back on the time pressure, the judgment from other parents, the idea that you have to get them to do it right away. Take your time. It's okay. It's a long-term project and that's okay. I love that mantra. I'm going to restate it that when you know you're going to be around other parents managing a child who's really having a big reaction, I think a calm, even fake it till you make it, as you would say, calm smile. We're working on this. And then don't say anything else. You owe nobody else any explanation because we talk too much. We but do if you talk learn, too much. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If we just learn to say that, make eye contact and smile, they will back off and they will not be judging. They know you've got the plan. And I think that's a really helpful thing to just pull out of your back pocket. Yeah. And I think it's important to just emphasize that when we're dealing with this, in general, people talk too much. Too much instruction, too much language, too much, too much, too much. You know, an example might be, say you're trying to get your child to get into the swimming pool. You can say to them, let's just sit together on the edge of the pool and dangle our feet in the water. And let's just sit here for a few minutes and we don't have to say a thing. And we're just going to let our brain get a hold of this a little bit. Let's just sit together. Right. And you're modeling that for them that we can sit even in silence or you can talk about something else, but just take the intensity down. Take the panic down and take the language down. Just everybody take it down. 
So in terms of wrapping this up with older kids, and you've got a teenager who's supposed to go and apply for a job, and even getting them to go and get the application, because maybe there's a paper application. Do they even do paper applications anymore? Or is it all online? Most of it's online, but I'll tell you with my experience with all of these teenagers applying for jobs, you really got to show up in person because they apply online and then they don't get a phone call back and they're like, well, I guess I didn't have a job. You want them to show up. You want them to go in and introduce themselves. Sometimes that's the place that really makes it difficult. I can imagine. It's like if you ever want to be mean to a teenager or another millennial, just make them pick up the phone and talk to somebody. Oh, yeah. I was just talking to my colleague, Chris, and he works with college students, high school and college students. He says that none of his clients will call him on the phone. They absolutely will not have a phone conversation, which is interesting, isn't it? So you were saying they refuse to do it. We get to the place where they refuse to do it. That's a hard place to be. Passivity beats me every time. No is the calling card of anxious avoidance. Nope, not going to do it. It means that with older kids, just like you were saying before, Robin, we want to put the carrot in front of them and get them to sort of recognize that this is an important skill for them to develop for their future. If you have a kid and, you know, look, I'm talking about do it yourself. If you've got a kid who's refusing to go to school, who's refusing to leave the house, who's not engaging in what we would say the normal activities of an adolescent developing, then that's when it's time to sort of call in professional help. You need some more coaching. The do it yourself stuff is really helpful if you're with somebody, you've got to be doing stuff between appointments. And it's also good when you see these things sort of showing up, but they're not full-blown problems that particularly with a teenager, you're really concerned about. It's hard to do it yourself with a teenager, even they may have been doing this avoidance thing for years and years and years. That may mean you've got to call in the professional help for sure. That's a great point. When is do-it-yourself appropriate and when isn't it? Correct. Yeah. Think of an electrician, right? So there are some do-it-yourself things that you can really do in your house with electricity. And then other times it's really important to call in a professional. Yeah. Same thing. Yeah. The plastic light plates I will change and I will change light bulbs. Mm -hmm. Everything else, call the professional. I can reset and unclog my garbage disposal. Oh, yeah. No, plumbing, I'm a little more handy. Oh, plumbing. Well, something went down my bathroom drain the other day. Not anything really important. It was just like a little cap of a cream. So using a small pair of scissors, some chopsticks, and this broken metal like kebab thing that I found in my drawer, I was able to extract the little cap, which I really felt like I could be a neurosurgeon. Like it was a delicate operation. It was like that game operation, you know, that we used to play. Yeah, with really big tweezers. Yeah, really big tweezers. But I used the tools I found in my messy silverware drawer and I successfully performed the operation. If you were a child of your brother, my husband, you know what he always says to the kids, his little refrain, well, that's being resourceful. <laughs> yes, I was very resourceful. And I'll tell you, I was patient. I was encouraging with myself. It took a few tries, but I got the little cap out of my sink. So there you go, people. Little inspiration for you. If this episode was helpful to you, you can join our Facebook community and we'd love it if you left a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Fluster Clucks. Bye, Robin. Bye, Lynn. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence 
whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy.